Well, good morning, everyone. We are going to uh, be working our way through Philippians, uh, but before we do, kind of kind of change things up for sermon. would like to actually have us, I know we just sat down, but would like to actually have us stand up. We're going to read through the text together, and then I'll kind of start working us through, uh, just kind of introducing the topic for us this morning. So I'm actually going to go ahead and go right into the, to those slides, and I'll go ahead and read those, Gia. It's kind of a, a curveball. So Philippians 4. 4 through 9 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be specifically focusing on, on verses 8 through, through 9, and going to do our best to kind of work through some of these uh, had some important things that we wanted to talk about in the church, and so uh, we're going to do our best to kind of work through these passages, but to kind of get us thinking about this, I think there's going to be a difficulty in, in talking about this passage, and, and maybe to kind of introduce this topic, I want to kind of throw out something. Um, there's a pandemic going on in the world. Now, it's not exactly like the pandemic you might be thinking. Coronavirus. Some of you are like, oh, phew, crying, many. I didn't know what we were going to be talking about this morning. But, or maybe you were going, finally, something relevant that we're, that we're going to be talking about. But there's a pandemic going on around the world. And, and what this pandemic that we'll be talking about is this. It impacts, it, it impacts a, a wide scale of, of people all around the world. And it's this. Busyness. And some of you are going, well, wait. That doesn't seem a lot like a pandemic. Like... I mean, coronavirus seems pretty severe. Like, how bad could busyness be? But we'll talk about that, and and, and we'll think through that together. One of the things that I wanted to at least highlight and show to you is this. There was a study done a while back by by a gentleman by the name of Michael Zigaretti, and and, and he, he did this survey on obstacles to growth. And he wanted to find out what are hindrances for you and I growing in Christ. And, and so he sent this thing out to, to numerous different people. This survey went out all around the world. It went from June, for, or June 2001 to June 2007. So a span of about five years, this guy did this study. And he sent out over 20,000 people, 20,000 Christians responded to this survey. Ages 15 to 88, so a wide span of people, men, women, And it included 139 countries to try to understand how is busyness impacting our culture? How is it specifically impacting Christian culture? 
And here's what he found. And as you look at some of these, these are just, just looking at things from the different continents in North America, people always rushing from task to task. 62% people responded that either often or always, this is the case that's happening in my life. I won't actually do a survey of hands of how many of you actually feel that way. Of I move from, from thing to thing, and, and I feel like I can hardly even catch my breath. But, but some of you can definitely relate to that process, that, that maybe even this morning and getting out, uh, just out the door, you're going, yeah, I, I can see that. Rushing from task to task, shoot, just getting me, myself, my kids, oh my goodness, all of us out. That was just a task. I'm just glad that I'm here this morning. Rushing is impacting not just... North America, but Africa, Europe, Asia, Australia, South America. They, they even looked at different, even Africa, one in three people that you run into, Africa, pretty laid back, chill area, people are busy. They're constantly moving from task to task. And some of us might look at that and go, well, what's the big deal? So what? Well, now in modern psychology, they've now termed a thing called hurry sickness, And it's defined as this, a a pattern of behavior characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. But to even go on, they go on with another definition, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time. You ever feel that way? There's not enough time in a day. And so tends to perform every task faster and, to get, and they get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Busyness. It's a pandemic that's impacting people all around the globe. And so we think through, there was a person that, that, that came up with a study, and, and, and it's uh, Ruth Haley Barton. She's, uh, she dedicates herself to strengthening souls of leaders and, and congregations that they serve in. And she came up with 10 signs of hurry sickness that, that come up. And I'd ask you to even think through, is this something that's happening in my life? The first one that came up with is irritability. Man, when I'm busy, think about this. How you respond when you're busy. Somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, there's, I, I just need to talk to you just real quick. You're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no, I, no, I, I, I got stuff to do. I get irritable much more quickly when life is busy. So it's not just something that even impacts me, it impacts those around me. Then I start to look at, and it, it can happen with parents, with kids. My kids now are becoming an obstacle to me getting things done, or maybe my mate, or maybe my friends are an obstacle to getting things done. I look at people as something that gets in my way. I'm irritable. I'm hypersensitive. I, uh, things that come up, sometimes somebody might do something to me and I go, oh man, can you believe that person? I can't believe what they just did. They may not have even meant anything, but I'm hypersensitive. Why? I have no margin in my life. And I'm freaking out. I'm irritable. Restlessness. Restlessness, particularly what she talked about is when I'm trying to actually come to a place of rest. Maybe it's when I'm actually trying to go to bed at night and I can't stop my mind from running. Or maybe it's a day off and I sit there and I start getting restless going, I feel like I should be doing something. There's more to be done. Why can't I be doing more? And I freak out. It's busyness. It's a symptom. Compulsive overworking. Never struggle with that. Emotional numbness. You ever have that? 
person walks up to you with their cares, their concerns, and you look at the person and you go, boy, I'd really love to talk to you, but, and you may even kind of smile and nod, but you're not listening. Emotionally, I'm numb. I, I can't handle what's coming on my plate because I have too much. My plate's too full. I can't listen to you. Emotionally numb to one another. Escapist behaviors. Netflix binging, right? All of a sudden you come home and you're like, man, there's some great stuff on YouTube. I don't know if I found the end of the internet yet. I think I can find it. And so I spend hours and hours engaged in escapist behaviors. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's all sorts of different things that I run to to escape the incessant hurry and business, busyness that's in my life. Disconnected from my identity and calling and hoarding energy. Any of you hoard energy? I, I talked to this uh, with somebody else. They're like, what on earth is that? And, and, and my wife and I were talking about this and she was like, no, I totally get that. There's some times where I'm, uh, I'm, I'm so busy in my life that something comes up and I'm trying to calculate and go, oh my goodness, I don't even know if I have energy to get to that. And so I start saying no to things that are actually maybe essential and urgent, but I say no, why? Because I'm trying to hoard energy because I might need to do something else. And so I may inadvertently say no to things that maybe I should have said yes to. Is this a pandemic that is impacting people? Yeah. Because I could raise my hand to many of these. Not able to attend to human needs. Maybe I'm not sleeping. Maybe I'm not eating well. Maybe I'm not exercising. All of those different things. Hurry, busyness that's happening in our lives. And then the last one says slippage in our spiritual practices. Now, the research that was done by this, by this man, Michael Zigarelli, that was one of the things that he really focused on. He really wanted to understand, how is this impacting us spiritually? Is this keeping us from growing? And here's what he found. Busyness distracts me from relationship with God. People responding often or always, this is the case. Again, I won't ask for a, a volunteer of hands of how many of you is this your case? That my life is just too busy. I don't make time. I don't have time to spend with God. And that becomes kind of the, the status quo of my relationship. It's happening in North America, Africa, Europe, Asia. And, and some might go, well, I wonder what the look would be as, as far as difference between men and women. Not much different, actually. It's, pretty, it's not statistically significantly different between men and women. Busyness. It's impacting our lives. It's impacting how we treat one another. It's impacting how we connect with God. So, kind of termed this the Zigarelli cycle, and this is his words. This is, this is taken right from his study. So he's trying to come up with, the question would be, well, why are people doing, doing this? Why is this impacting us this way? And he's just trying to give a suggestion of what he thinks. So as Christians, we're assimilating to a culture of busyness. So we're taking this culture of busyness, hurry, and all these things, and, and we're just adopting it. It's happening in the world around us, and we're going, great, just go right along with the, the flow. This is the, this is the flow, this is the stream of culture, and I'm just jumping right in. And I adopt it. I embrace it. And this then, he says, leads to God becoming more marginalized in our lives. So I'm adopting a pattern of busyness and hurry, and I don't have room in my life for God. Well, what does that then lead to? 
a deteriorating relationship with God. I don't know God that well. But then what happens? Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. This no longer is something that I have time to think about or even time to evaluate, man, is my life actually, is this impacting my life or is it just just the world that's impacting how I'm living? Am I adopting the culture around me or am I being a culture changer because of what Christ has done in me? And this then leads to more conformity to culture of busyness and hurry and overload. And then as he says, the cycle is a rinse and repeat that happens in our lives. This is a pandemic. It's impacting us individually. It's impacting our relationships. It's impacting how we connect with God. And so as we come in here to do anything meaningful and think about God, as we're doing things on our own and trying to think about God, my biggest fear and and the thing that I'm, I'm thinking about for us as Christians is, I wonder if I have time, if I've made time and space to actually hear and encounter the God of the universe. Pete Scazzaro talks about how this impacts leaders, and I would even venture to say that we could even replace leader with how this impacts people. And he says that the emotionally unhealthy leader or person is someone who operates in a continuous state of emotional and spiritual deficit, lacking emotional maturity and a being with God sufficient to sustain their doing for God. Is that you this morning? Take a hard look. Have I adopted and have I swam into this culture and, and, and it really is having more impact than me and, 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 and I don't have space or margin and, and that's killing me spiritually. And then as I'm trying to serve and do things, maybe I'm a grow group leader, maybe I'm helping out in, in, in Juana or another children's ministry or maybe serving in worship team or other things. I'm doing, I'm going through the motions, but I don't have anything that's actually refueling and recharging me and I'm depleting myself. Well, here's the reality. The busyness of my life gets in the way of God and developing my relationship. He even went on to say how this impacts other people. And here's the reality of what I'd share with you. Um, The scariest thing is it's impacting people in a wide variety of ways. Whoops, let me go back to that. And... What's the one that sticks out to you? Of all people that should be helping and leading. So this isn't me looking at you and going, y'all need Jesus. (laughs) You all really need to get your stuff together. Who do you notice up there that are leading the charts? Pastors. 65% of pastors are saying, I don't have time for God. Scary. Scary to think about what's happening in our individual lives, what's happening to other people and how that's impacting our culture, how that's impacting our churches. And something has to change. But my question to all of us is this, as I think through all of this, are, are we just stuck? Are we stuck? Do we have, do we have no hope in all of this? Is it, man, the culture's just going, it's just gonna take us downstream. What do we do? And Paul's gonna talk to us about that. And here's what he says to us. Oh, there we go. Philippians in 4.8, he says, Finally, brothers, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just or right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So what's the greatest tool that, that we actually have? One, I do need margin in my life, but, but what Paul looks at a group of people is he says, think about things that are happening and, and think about these things. What's, what's true? What's honorable? What's just? What's lovely? What's pure? What's commendable? I need to make room in my life to think about these things. And so often what's so easy to happen in my life is this. I get margin in my life and I go, oh, sweet. Now I can fill it. I can't wait. I've been always wanting to do this. Something has to change. I need to make room in my life and room in my life so I can actually commune with God. And what Paul's talking about is I need to start thinking about these truths. And we'll talk about what those mean. When we think about the first one, it's this. Whatever is true. A.W. Tozer said this, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. What comes into your mind when you think about God? There was a, there was a question that was posed to a person. Uh, his name's Dallas Willard. He's a theologian. And, and somebody came along to him and he said, well, what, what, what do you think God is like? What was a word that you would describe God as? Man, of all the words that you have to describe God, right? Oh, man, all-powerful, omnipotent. Oh, my goodness, there's so many things. It's the one word that he chose. Relaxed. Relaxed. He's contentment of himself. He's okay with where things are going. He's not rushed. He's not in a hurry. He's quite content. He's not wringing his hands. So when he says, whatever's true, think about these things. Why? Why is this important for you and I? See, the reality for us is we are created to be image bearers of God. To reflect what he's like. And how I live my life is is an expression of what God's like in a small way. It's the infinite God, but as I live my life, I'm to be pointing a picture to others and go, in a small way, this is what Jesus is like. As I love my wife sacrificially, this is to be an expression of the gospel and say, this is what God is like, honey, and how I treat you. And a wife, same way. Parents, as as they love their kids and teach them to obey, it's to help them one day listen to the voice of God. But if I'm constantly going around and I'm constantly busy, I'm not setting my mind on these things. I'm not thinking about what's true, about who God is. Man, I may assimilate right into the culture. And I'm frantic. I'm busy. I don't have time. I don't have time for you. Emotionally, I got too much on my plate. And think about what that's reflecting about the God that we serve. We keep moving forward. Oops, one back. So Paul says, whatever is true. Understand this. He says, whatever is true. And one of the things that that A.W. Tozer talks about a little bit earlier in this book, it's it's Knowledge of the Holy. It's a great book. If you ever wanted to to look at a book and just contemplate very short chapters that, that are easy to look at and who God is, one of the things that he says is that, listen, God reveals himself in a variety of different ways. He reveals himself through creation. We can see that through, through the Psalms, that, that he reveals himself through nature. 
But even more accurately, he reveals himself through scripture. As I come to scripture, I can understand what is God like? I can learn about this person who says, I am the truth. I can read statements like, your word is truth. And I, I can come to an accurate understanding as, as best as we can as, as finite beings. I can understand what this God is like. Whatever's true, think about those things. But even more than that, whatever is true. You look back even into Proverbs, and what did Solomon look at occasionally to give illustrations? Look at the ant. Consider it. Jesus, when he's talking to to people in in, in the Sermon on the Mount in, in chapter six of Matthew, he says, consider this. Consider the birds of the air. Consider the flowers of the field. Look, actually, I think he says, look at the, the birds of the air. Consider the flowers of the field. Consider what's true. But here's the problem. I don't have time. When I have incessant busyness in my life, I don't have time to stop and smell the flowers, so to speak. And this is actually in a good sense. I don't have time to ruminate and think about what God's like. I may look at an ant and, like maybe my sons, squash it and go, ha, king of the beasts, and move on. And not think about lessons of truth from what's happening around me. In one way, what Paul is doing, whatever is true, in, in one way, he's, there's even a statement that he's making that all truth, in its purest sense, belongs to God. Think about it. Let it fill your minds. Think about what's honorable. I don't have time to necessarily go through all of these, but honorable was often mentioned of, 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 of leaders in the church. And I wonder how often that, that we look at one another and, and we actually think, wow, this is somebody that I honor. I, I can see what's happening in their life and I have respect for this person. I have respect for this God of the universe and, and I think about things that are honorable instead of just thinking, thinking about things that are lower in life. I think about things that are right just, doing the right thing. I think about things that are pure, morally pure, and how easy it is for my mind to be filled with other things. You remember what we talked about, that reality is, is what happens when I have a life of busyness. I can turn to other things to try to cope with the busyness. It doesn't help me to think about what's pure, what's lovely, or winsome, or commendable. We keep moving on to Paul's encouragement and, and, and the, 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 the virtues that he mentions in chapter 8. Uh, they're generic. You could look and you could read through Aristotle, you could read through Plato, and, and all of them have different virtues that they would laud and they would praise. And Paul's looking at people and saying, they're virtuous things. Think about those things. Live them out. But then he goes one step further and says, listen, as a Christian, we have something so much better. That there's this gospel, there's this word of God that I can come to that gives me instruction for who God is, what he's like and living. And and he says, whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice it. And this is my encouragement to us as a church is this. I think the hardest part in Christianity sometimes is on on me, I struggle with and I'm a perfectionist in nature. 
And sometimes I can look and I go, man, I, 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 I want to get better at reading the Bible and, and, and I'll, I'll try it again. And then I, I try for a little bit and I stop. And I go, man, I'm a failure. And I get down about it. And I don't do it again. This may be semantics, but I, something that was so helpful for me to think through is I want to encourage you to do something. Stop trying. And some of you are like, wait, what? Can you say that again? Stop trying. Start training. There's a difference. Trying, see, when I'm trying to, trying to do something, I'm, I'm working out right now. And we just started as a family, and I was like, you know what? Uh, there could be this attitude that I have is, well, I'll try it. But what happens when something goes wrong and I'm just trying it? Ah, it's not my thing. I'll move on to the next thing. And I go on with life. But if I understand that, listen, this is about training. There's a bigger goal that I'm trying to go about. I actually want to be in a better shape. I want to be in shape physically so I can play with my kids and, and, and do different things like that. I'm constantly exhausted. That's awful. And I want to train so I have greater capacity. Then all of a sudden when I fail and when I, don't, when I fall on my knees in, tra- in training or I don't do it that week, what do I do? I don't go, huh, I tried it. On to something new. I go, I, want, I need to get back into it. Why? I want greater capacity. Stop trying. Start training. The word of God is something that the, 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 the Psalms say can keep me from sin. It helps me understand who God is and, and what he's like. Start thinking about it. Start making margin in your life. Start training. Man, I really would love to read through the Bible in a year. Great. Start training. Do something. Move. Make that room in your life to do so. I want to give an example from Scripture to help, help us kind of contemplate an aspect of, of, of this. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll look at Matthew 6, 25. I want to give us an example of what does this look like to actually contemplate and think about what's true, what's honorable, what's pure, what's commendable, what's just. And Jesus is actually the one who's talking here, and, and he does something very, very simple with, with people as he's talking to people. And here's what the, the Word of God says in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, let this sink in, church. Do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. 
Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. See what Jesus did with people? He went through a mental exercise. And what was that mental exercise? Don't be anxious. Do you remember the definition that we gave of anxiety last week? To be killed by or pained by your thoughts. It's a cruel master, anxiety. And what does Jesus do? He says, let's slow down. I want you to look around you. He was teaching on a hillside, a beautiful hillside that overlooks, overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And there's grass there. And there would have been birds in the air chirping. And he goes, let's just stop and look and consider But he could do that because he was away from things. He wasn't walking with them through the busy streets, though sometimes he would teach that way. That word look, it, it has that idea. It's not just that I'm setting my eye on it, but in, in, in that culture, it would have been that I want you to look with the intent of actually thinking about the ramifications of it. Very similar to consider the lilies of the field. Are you anxious inside? And I'll be honest, this week I was anxious about some things. And it was a discipline to pull away from what I was doing, to step back and go, wait a minute, God. Who are you? What are you like? What do you say about yourself? To pause. Everything within me wanted to go, oh man, I can fix this. If I just think about this more, if I put more effort into this, I got this. Or, you know what, I'm not even going to think about that. I'm just going to keep moving and feel a little bit better about myself because I'm actually getting things done over here. I paused, I stepped back to pull away, to make space, to think about God. He didn't change my circumstances, but he changed me through the circumstance. A guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a doctor and, and pastor, said, faith, if you like, can be defined like this. And this was about this very passage that we were considering. It's a man insisting upon thinking when everything seems determined to bludgeon and knock him down in an intellectual sense. I love that imagery. Instead of being controlled by his own thought, his thought is being controlled by something else. Why is it urgent for us? Oh, sorry, last part. That's the essence of worry. That it's not thought, that it's the absence of thought, a failure to think. And some of you are going, but wait, 
I'm laying in bed and I can't sleep because my thoughts are going through my head. No, you're not thinking. No, I'm thinking. No, I'm a little more like that pinball in the pinball machine that's getting pushed around everywhere. For me to actually stop and think is for me to lay that down and go, wait a minute, God. Help me like you encouraged other people to look at the birds of the air. Help me to pull back and consider the lilies of the field. Help me to stop and pull back and look at you, Jesus. What, what, what Paul in Philippians 2 does is he keeps pushing people to think about what Jesus is like and, and how this impacts and shapes their living. But we will never do that if we don't make space, if we don't have margin in our lives. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Sometimes I think scripture asks us to contemplate and sometimes it asks us to move. Uh, Gia, can you pull back up the, the tin, the slide for the tin? Things going on in people's lives. I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. You know what I'm talking about, right? Has the tin. Oh, it's there. Oh, I'm looking up here because we have a, a, a screen down. Some of you have hurry sickness in your heart right now. You're coming into church and you got that going on. Sometimes scripture actually calls us to do something and Paul says, think about these things. But sometimes physically I need to move to change. And here's what I'm going to encourage this morning. There's nothing magical about this. I'd encourage you if you are convicted right now, this week, maybe even earlier on, if you're like, man, you know what? I have succumbed. I've allowed myself to be conformed to this world and the pattern of it. And I haven't been transforming, allowing my, myself to be transformed in my mind. And I need this. If you're at that place that you've been conforming to the world and you're ready to change, I'd ask that as the worship team, they're gonna start playing some chords here. Can we do that? I'd ask you to come down, make a change, do something physical, come down and say, yes, this is me. I'm caught up in busyness and something needs to change in my life. I need to stop and start thinking and making room in my life to start thinking about God. I haven't made that a priority. Come down, just come down and join. After a little bit, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll continue in worship. I think the hardest thing sometimes is making that step. And some of you may be in your seats going, you know what? My heart is there. I'm just having a hard time even walking down to the front. I get it. I'm going to start praying right now. If you want to join us up front. I'd actually ask that we all just stand because we're going to be singing songs here, worship and praise to Jesus, setting our eyes and our focus on him. If you still want to come down, come down to the front, and I'd encourage you to even just finish out the service singing songs to him. Jesus, I stand down here not just because I ask people to come down and meet me, but I'm here too. 
I know how easy it is in my life that we read statistics about, about variety of different professions and even pastors being so easy to be caught up in busyness. God, I, I don't want that in my life. And people are up front here saying, we don't want that in our life either. And maybe others in here are going, I don't want that either. I, I don't want busyness to just overtake. I don't want to be just conformed to this world, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Oh, Jesus, I need your help with that. God, we can't do this on our own. We desperately need you to do a work in us. So God, I pray for each person down here with me right now, myself. God, help us to be courageous courageous to say no in our schedule to make room for you. God, give us wisdom where we can say no to make margin and room in our life to make you the center and the focus of of our life. Forgive us, God, as a church in the times that we've neglected. God, thank you that we can come to you and turn to you because of what Jesus did. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.